It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Mama told me son, go and play in the yard. Papa said go and play, you gotta break your stomach, go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. And welcome to it, Inside the Yard, and coming up, the man, the general manager of the Baltimore Orioles, Mike Elias, will be with us. And then the other man, Raku Bako of MassInSports.com, will be with us. So a jam-packed show. A couple of Orioles broadcasters talking about the Baltimore Orioles, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold. And, Jeff, we have uh, the general manager coming up. We talk about the draft, different strategies. Uh, and we also get into the deadline for trades that looms at the end of July. It's a very busy month coming up. Yeah, it's, it's probably busier than it's ever been for them just because the draft getting moved back this year. And so you're going up against the, the trade deadline and you've got scouts who are trying to do their work for this year's draft, trying to do work for next year's draft. And it was something that we talked to Brad Selick about and how he talked about guys starting to, to, you know, you have some scouts there that are working on both of them. And then you also have scouts that are needed for trade deadline stuff. So you're trying to juggle all these different balls in the air at what has become a, a really exciting time of year for them I think probably more exciting considering what last year was and how difficult it was to scout and do your jobs the way you wanted to and and this year it's it's been a little bit more hectic just because you're paying attention to the college world series out of the corner of your eyes you're doing all your work to prepare for the draft and everything um, I thought you asked Mike a really good question in terms of how it you know could affect the deadline and, and how some of the conversations between general managers are go and just when he brought up that the draft, the week of the draft, and everybody's probably thinking about that right now. And then maybe some of the other stuff as far as deadline goes on the back burner. But it is a hectic time of the year if you're working um, in the, the baseball operations world. And for those scouts, um, this is uh, this is the Super Bowl that they're preparing for. And I think it's important to know if you're waking up and just kind of tuning into the draft for baseball. And that's fine. We're at the start of July as this thing drops, basically. And I think it's pretty clear through the mocks, Jeff, that it's wide open, one through 10, that there is no consensus. One, this is not Natalie Rutschman year. Uh, this is not one of those years where someone's anointed. I mean, there was a feeling a year ago that that'd be rocker and then eventually lighter, but that's moved. And you know, I've seen just all the mocks that have come out in the last few weeks. Uh, the Orioles at five have been linked to three or four different players just in the last few weeks. And then number one, there's no consensus. So it's wide open, which makes it exciting. I think the, the consensus among baseball people is it's a really deep draft, but there's not an anointed one, two, three. And that's part of the reason why I think the, the Orioles are, 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 they've always been a team. And Mike Elias has talked about this before um, that they're, they're unpredictable. You know, they, in Houston, when he was working with them, they always took pride in, in being unpredictable. And, you know, I don't think we can ex exclude the possibility of maybe them drafting a catcher within the first round, which would be maybe surprising to a lot of people being like, well, don't we have Adley Rutschman? Isn't he supposed to be our catcher of the future? But, you know, if you go back to you know, Matt Weeters and Buster Posey and that whole situation and things like that, where you can move different players around and, 
you know, Adley Rushman, remember, he's not only getting catcher reps, he's getting reps at first base. I mean, he's the kind of guy, it sounds like, could probably be a, a tremendous third baseman, too, if you wanted to put him over there, um, just because of how athletic he is and how talented he is. So you never know where you're going to be in a couple of years down the road. And so even as maybe if they decide to pull the trigger on Davis, the catcher from, from Louisville, who uh, is one that is supposed to be a, a top pick taken, you can't exclude that maybe him, even though it might seem weird to just be taken another catcher, that him or Rutschman, how they manage those guys going forward, you know, looking forward a couple of different years. Um, you, you can't just be like, well, this doesn't make any sense now, but it, it probably will work itself out a little bit later down the road. Such a demanding position through a Baltimore summer. If you have two good offensive catchers to find a way to split time behind the plate, the DH spot, first base, whatever it might be. Oh, by the way, a good offensive catcher is one of the biggest commodities in the sport outside of frontline starting pitcher. So who knows, maybe one day while you're contending, you move one of them, just throwing it out there and you – fill a gap on your roster. I mean, a frontline offensive catcher can bring back a huge haul. So you never have enough talent. And I think it's kind of interesting. And someone like Davis, you would think, could be in Baltimore very quickly. The best offensive college batter hitter in the draft uh, who's in a premier conference. But something to think about. We'll get to Michael Elias in a moment. But Birdland experienced an O's game with the convenience and privacy of your very own suite. A variety of affordable single game suites throughout the ballpark are available. Enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate-controlled interior seating, a private restroom, and comfortable outside seating. Visit Orioles.com slash suites for more information. We are on the verge of probably the biggest month of the year for a baseball executive. The draft now in July and the deadline shortly thereafter. And with us right now, the Orioles general manager, Mike Elias. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Sure, you bet, guys. Well, let's start with the draft. First of all, do you like the timing of it right now? And as the board comes together and then the pushback into the All-Star break? Well, it's definitely been an adjustment. I mean, I, I think we'll see how we feel about it once it's over. But um, in a usual year, the draft is over right now. As I'm speaking here in late June, it's usually an early to mid-June thing. The league um, moved it to the All-Star break in July this year um, in order to have a first-ever draft combine, um, which is which is happening in, in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, but also to intermingle the draft with the all-star festivities and get it after the College World Series. But it's been an adjustment because normally the draft's out of our way and our scouts are able to focus on next year's draft class and then also the trade deadline. So having to juggle all three of those things at once has been a huge adjustment for scouting departments across the league. Like how much better prepared do you feel like you are right now for this year's draft when you consider that you can do in-person scouting again how much better prepared and better are you able to execute your analyses of these different amateur players going into the draft well last year was very tough because of the shutdown hitting in mid-march it was almost like uh you're taking a test and somebody tells you to put your pencils down halfway through the test and um you know we uh we're able to make good evaluations and, um, you know, study the players and make adjustments to our normal process, even with half of a spring, 
And luckily, we had a full summer with that draft class. Um, and now it's kind of the reverse. We have less of a summer, less history, as we call it, in scouting, because a lot of these kids only had half of a season in 2020. But we've gotten pretty much a full spring on these guys. So some of the more recent info is comforting. You know, we've gotten the in-person looks. I've gotten in-person looks this year. We're going to have workouts and meetings leading right up into the draft. Um, and so it feels a little bit more normal, but I think we won't have a fully normal draft experience until 2022. Mike, one more question on the timing of it. And typically late June, do calls start happening about the deadline or is that even still something that happens more in a few weeks? And, and if that is the case, have those even begun or, or general managers so wrapped up in the draft that can't even start right now? I got to imagine that the week of the draft itself, things are going to be really quiet uh, because it's hard to concentrate on anything other than the draft, especially a major trade. We'll see. Um, That would be a tough thing to juggle the week of the draft. So this will definitely be an adjustment having the draft uh, coincide so closely with the trade deadline. Right now, it seems like still sort of the same normal uh, June type of chatter where it's sort of everyone's checking in with one another, deciding if they're buyers or sellers and stating their needs. Um, And, uh, you know, those calls are happening like they usually do. Like in terms of like some of the players that, you know, you take a look at at the very, you know, front of these mock drafts and everything without maybe asking about specific guys, but, you know, when it comes to taking high school players, especially at the very beginning of a draft, you know, besides having the, the skills that you need to have to be drafted at the very front of a first round, um, what are some other evaluations that you need to make um, to be comfortable pulling the trigger on somebody who's a high school player who obviously hasn't seen the level of competition that, say, somebody would having played college baseball, maybe if they were in the SEC, the Pac-12, or some other big conference? Well, it, it's a really amazing, impressive skill that baseball scouts have that, that, that can go to high school games um, without that advanced pitching, without the college statistics, and watch an 18-year-old kid and say, this 18-year-old kid is not only going to be better than these other 21-year-olds that are dominating a, a big college uh, conference, but will be one of the best hitters in, in baseball one day. Um, so it's a really impressive skill set that – scouts have had developed um, and it starts in the summer in a normal year it starts in the summertime we do get to watch these players with wood in the summer against other pro caliber uh, uh, prospects and so that's very very helpful um, but the follow-up in the spring is important to see how their bodies have uh, adjusted to see um, you know how, how they've grown and, and what changes have been made in their in their swing and mechanics. Um, but oftentimes you go in the spring and they don't get pitched. To them. You know they're very good. Um, the, the high school teams are trying to win and they will walk them four times. Um, so there's really often not a lot of uh, information that's coming in the spring. And even when you look at someone like. D.L. Hall or Grayson Rodriguez, and this is before you got uh, the, your current job in Baltimore, th- those two were not throwing 98-99 when scouts said in you know middle, late first round, like those two guys could be future frontline starters in the big league. So someone with an incredible skill set as a scout had to say, I-, I see where this body's going and where this arm is going. I mean, it's amazing. Exactly. You look at the body, uh, the way the arm works, and uh, you know, you make a projection and uh, I, you know, you really 
uh, it's hard to articulate how that happens. Um, and it's, it's just a, a bunch of experience um, and uh, experience watching other players at that age and in that market and having the type of eye that can, can see what might progress over the next three years. Or on the topic of pitchers, you know, taking somebody who's a college pitcher, for instance, and that pitches in a big conference, that's something that's valuable because, you know, they face some really good competition. But, you know, what are some of the risks that you have to, to weigh, especially when you're, you're thinking about pulling the trigger on, a, on maybe a college pitcher or, or somebody that has gotten a lot of innings? And, and how do you go about weighing that um, in terms of um, when maybe somebody like that is at the very top of the draft board? Well, um, college pitching is always very tempting because everyone's always looking for pitching. And the college pitchers, they show you this, the now stuff that, that can just, you can imagine plugging into the major leagues very, very quickly. Uh, so there's always a temptation there. If you do hit on the right one, they do tend to arrive at the major leagues very, very quickly, like within a year or two. Uh, but you have to pick the right one. Um, and the, the, the flip side with college pitching is, like you said, they, they have experienced a lot of wear and tear, um, having pitched three years in college. Um, there's there's more injury risk with pitchers than with position players generally. Um, so they tend to be kind of a risky demographic too. Um, and we look at their deliveries, we analyze their deliveries, we analyze their workload, we analyze their medical history. Um, and, you know, you try to try to get it right. But it's, you know, pitchers on the whole are very risky, but everyone needs pitching. So um, you just pick your spots when you, when you go into that demographic and, and uh, try to do the best you can. Mike, without getting into specifics on a certain player, uh, you did mention this the other day with the uh, Berlin membership group about the possibility, and a lot of mocks have this, the Orioles drafting a catcher in the first round. Some fans would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You already have the best catching prospect in baseball, but would that be something the Orioles would consider theoretically? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at it. I mean, there, there's a um, there's a couple of high school catchers in this draft, but there's also a very high-profile college catcher uh, that uh, might go around our pick, and we've got to consider it. I mean, first of all, um, you know, with the baseball draft, you don't tend to worry about positional need because, number one, the players usually don't arrive in the major leagues for two to three years. Um, and number two, you don't know what your major league roster is going to look like in two to three years, even though you have a player now that projects to be there. Things can change. Um, so usually the advice in baseball is to just take uh, the best player that available, the best player that, that you want, regardless of what's already in your system. Um, with catching, too, nowadays you look at the um, leaderboards from the last few years of, of catchers innings caught or um, and games caught, and it's like 120-ish is like the most that somebody catches in a season. And um, typically it's like 80 or 90 innings. So um, I'm 80 or 90 games. So, you know, you need more than one catcher on a roster. And if you have a couple of elite hitting catchers, we're in the American League. We've got the DH spot. We've got first base. Um, you know, we have Adley Rutschman rotating through those spots in Bowie right now in the anticipation of him not catching 162 games in the big leagues but wanting to keep his bat in the lineup. So there's avenues to fitting two really good catchers on a team, and it might be a really good problem to have. Um, so I don't think we're going to let it factor into us too much. Um, and in fact, you know, you can point to Orioles history uh, with Matt Leaders and Buster Posey being, in, I don't know if it was back-to-back drafts, but it was like within a couple of years of each other. 
and you know talking to ex-employees then they they didn't take posey because they had weeders and you know posey would just ended up being one of the far and away better players in that draft so it's always a little risky to to pass because of something you you already have in your system in terms of buy-in that you have to have not only from the scouting side not only from you but the player development side especially with somebody who's first round pick second round pick you know top couple of rounds how much buy-in do you need to have from the player development staff because they're going to be the guys that are going to work with the players that get drafted and try and eventually get them to the big leagues as quickly as possible yeah it's very uh it needs to be a very symbiotic cooperative relationship we get them involved in our draft evaluation they understand who's out there, why we're taking who we take. Uh, we have a lot of communication after we take the players on what we see, what we think they should do. Um, and kind of the old school baseball 20, 30 years ago was there was a lot of separation between the scouting and player development departments. And um, to use the baseball phrase, the scouts would kind of toss the players over the fence and whatever happened, happened. But that has changed so much um, and you need to have alignment across your organization between those two departments. And we, we do now, you know, there, there were periods where that wasn't a strength of this organization, but we make sure that there's um, alignment between those departments so that um, when the players go into our system, it's very clear uh, what the thought process was into taking them, what the expected development challenges are going to be. And we learned, the scouting department learns, you know, maybe what's something that we missed. Um, so um, we'll, we'll, we're sure to have that and, and we'll continue to make sure that that's the case. Mike, after last year, how excited are you just to get back in a room with your scouts and pretty much everyone in, in your organization at that level and put a board together and then make a selection on draft day? Yeah, I think everyone's very excited. We've got a uh, healthy vaccinated staff, so we're going to congregate together in Camden Yards for a long period of time um, and set up our draft board just like we normally do. Last year, we did it entirely from home over Zoom. Um, it was a challenging. Those are long meetings, and to do it, uh, it's just not the same discourse and, and debate um, and not the same level of fun, so we're really happy about that we've got physical magnet boards that we use but we've also got some new digital magnet boards so we're going to kind of use both so it should be a lot of fun like in terms of what you've seen overall from the minor leagues this year like the record's impressive a lot of guys have really excelled but what's your overall assessment of the minor league season to this point well with, with how it's going so far uh i think we've got to be very happy i mean uh, we've uh we've been winning um, which isn't, you know, everything in the minors, but it's indicative that you've got good players and type of development environment and culture that we want to have here going forward. Um, we've gotten really good uh, performances from some of our most important prospects. So that's obviously the most important thing. Uh, but also we've seen some later picks uh, blossom and put up numbers and that's what we want to see too. Um, I think the only negative has been that we've had some health scares uh, so far, but that happens with every team and you just you just work your way through that and that's why you have the depth that you have um, but this is what's important to us right now long term we want to be an organization where we have a culture and a pipeline of players signing with us experiencing first-rate player development and then graduating to the major leagues ready to play and we've 
laid this foundation down, we're laying it down, but this is a multi-year endeavor. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see some players from our first draft class here, you know, move up into the double A level and some players from some of our trades get into double A and triple A. Um, so that's good. And, and we're making progress. Mike, I want to go back to the draft and just talk overall draft strategy, particularly with those first few picks, because I do think there's a misconception with some about the strategy and going with slot value or slightly under slot. And it's a cap system. Every dollar is virtually spent in your allotted amount. But take us through some of the strategy aspects of that as you look at pick number five and beyond. Well, to, to be as direct about this as I can, um, the, it's a cap system. If you sign a player for less than his allotted slot, you were then able to spend that money on other players. If you, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to, to go over slot with other players. So it enables you to sign expensive high school players that fall into the draft because of signability reasons, more so than talent reasons. Um, that said, uh, we want to have the best draft that we can possibly have. Your first pick is by far your most important pick, and we're very mindful of that. But it's very advantageous to us um, when people don't know what we're going to do and, and how our board is lined up. Um, and between our drafts here in, in Baltimore and then um, with the Astros starting in 2012 when this system was first put in place, we built up a reputation of being somewhat unpredictable with our picks. And I think that is a good thing uh, with the way that this system works. So I'm not going to say a ton more than that, um, but we're doing everything we can to make sure we extract the most talent from every draft class that we have given the rules and um, make the best case by case decision that we do. I think everybody kind of knows when, when it comes to like those first three rounds that the different players that they're there that you figure are going to be taken, you know, early on. But maybe when you start moving to say the fifth round and a little bit beyond, probably comes down to a lot of what your amateur scouts are able to deliver and the information that, that you have when it comes to, to making some of those picks. Um, how do you go about weighing the information that you're getting about some players that are maybe a little bit less known than say some of the bigger names you're going to see at the very front of the draft. Um, and, and what are some things that you balance when you realize that we've, we paid a lot of attention to these guys in these first couple of rounds, but then when we go a little bit later, maybe there's not quite as much as we know about some of these other players, but they're still valuable. Yeah. The late rounds are really fun. And that was one of the worst things last year. We only had a five run draft because of the pandemic. So we missed out on, on that. And, you know, you look at our team right now, um, John Means was an 11th rounder. Mancini was, I think, the eighth round. Um, so there's a great players in baseball that go late in the draft. So, you know, that was a, a bummer to miss out on those picks. Um, and, you know, it, it's a very fascinating process late in the draft. Uh, back in the old days, it used to just be the scouts debating amongst themselves and sort of the luck of whether one of the bosses happened to see a guy late in the draft incidentally during the spring. And so he would get more of a chance of that player being taken or one scout was better at selling his players than the other. And that's still a big part of, of it. Don't get me wrong, but most teams now have some type of model or system that tries to synthesize all the info that we have, the stats, the scouting reports, whatever else, so that, um, when one scout in Oregon has a player in the 12th round on his list and another one in Florida has a player in the 12th 
round in his list um, and nobody saw both of them, how do you make that decision? Well, we try to do it in as, as systematic kind of semi-scientific way as possible. And I think most teams approach that now. So that's why you have a, a draft model so that, you know, over time, if your model is sound, you're going to, you're going to get predictable returns. Mike, you've been at this for a very long time, even though you're very young for the industry, measuring makeup, how has your view on that? And as far as finding a way to do that, and this is something that's been chased from Branch Rickey to Mike Elias and every sport in between, how have you evolved in how you approach trying to find someone with a high caliber makeup? As, as I go along, as we go along, it gets more and more important uh, in my mind. I mean, you know, early uh, in my own career, it wasn't something that I emphasized terribly. Um, looking back, we made some terrible mistakes because of that. Um, it's also the toughest thing to evaluate because it's, you know, it's just the human being and their personality. And we're just trying to predict human behavior in the future, which is difficult in anything, let alone baseball. Um so we think we do okay with it uh, better than you might expect um, using the methods uh, that we use, which are talking to the players, talking to play- people that know the players, past coaches, contacts, doing a lot of gumshoe type of research. Um, and generally speaking, if you have some experience in this, you develop a feel for what major league players' personalities are like and, and whether this – high school or college kid that you're talking to sort of has what it takes to, to get through the grind of the minors and the majors. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that, but it's something that we still need to get better at, try to get better at. Um, and it's, it's really important and it's really unscientific and that's where experience comes in. But we spent a lot of time on that aspect of it. And when you have a really high pick, honestly, it's a, just a major area of emphasis for me. Mike, the high picks, you know, a lot of them are performing really well right now. You know, Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and everything like that. But how much pride do you take when maybe somebody who is in a lower round goes to the minor leagues and puts big numbers together? Because there have been a lot of stories like that this year of guys who may be coming out of the draft who weren't household names are putting big minor league seasons together. Well, you, you know, usually that's that's the scouts and the analysts um, that that sort of deserve the credit um, when that happens, and I think get the, the the thrills. You know, the scouting director, the general manager. You know, we're sort of more tied up in the early picks, and then you hope that you have a good staff and a good system and process in place, um, so that the later picks, you know, you'll strike gold. And overall, if you have those things, um, you will. And I think we're seeing some of that. Um, you know, in the Orioles system right now. But uh, I trust that our guys will do the right work and, and we'll, we'll um, you know, we'll land on some, some real good players in the seventh round and the 15th round, and that's part of it. Last one, Mike. We'll end on this. I'm just curious, and we're recording this on June 25th. How much College World Series and college baseball playoffs have you watched, at least in the background of everything you've done over the last uh, several weeks, I guess? And and how tied up are you in just, you know, seeing some of those top name guys, but also maybe someone else catches your eye along the way? Um, yeah, the, the, in the background is a good way to put it. Like, we'll literally have the College World Series games on all day while we're working, while we're at the ballpark. Um, and so you just kind of watch out of the corner of your eye. I can't say I'm sitting there 
uh, bearing down on every pitch, but you just sort of follow what's happening. Um, you know, one thing with the draft room is that's when we pull all of our info together. So we've got the scouting reports, um, the, the data analysis, the medical histories come in very late. And that's a huge part of the, the you know, that can take somebody off your board. So I tend to wait for all that um, before getting too wrapped up in, in making up our minds. Um, but it's, it's one thing with the late draft is it's fun to have those games on prior to the draft. And honestly, it used to be you would take um, you take a pitcher really high early June and then you watch him throw tons of innings in the regionals in the College Road Series. And, you know, you're, you're biting your nails the whole time that, he, that nothing happens. So uh, it's kind of nice to not have that anymore. Orioles General Manager Michael Ice, a busy month ahead. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks, guys. best Orioles ticket deals in one place, including single-game tickets, ticket packs, special offers, and more. We got you covered at the Orioles Ticket Marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals, so check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets to purchase. Time now for our insider segment, and the one and only Rock Kubako of is with us. And Rock, thank you so much for coming on. And let's start with I guess even the trade deadline coming up with the draft and the deadline, all of a sudden July is looking very busy, uh, especially with the Orioles. They're probably two biggest opportunities to, to really improve the organization top to bottom. I look at this roster right now and, and nothing jumps out to me as far as in a possibility of a true trade chip, as I see it right now. Am I off on that? Uh, I mean, you may be able, and it depends what teams are looking for contenders. And if there's, you know, a sudden injury, or let's say a team says, look, we need a veteran shortstop. Hey, Freddie Galvis looks appealing and he's played pretty well. So I don't think the defensive metrics like love Freddie Galvis, but I keep saying to make some really, like really dazzling plays on bullets hit to him where he's making these great sliding backhanded stops on the grass and whatever. But so Freddie Galvis potentially, and then it's like, well, what are they willing to part with? I mean, Michael Franco, if somebody wants him, I would think the Orioles would be like, okay, could work something there, even if they don't have a logical or an easy replacement. That's why you sign guys like this, because they're hopefully bringing something back at the deadline. Otherwise, are you willing? And he's struggled a little bit lately, but a Paul Fry at one point, his value was never higher. Is this the time to pull the trigger on a Paul Fry and say, hey, somebody wants to give us something for him? Absolutely, even though you're hurting your bullpen. Or, you know, a, a Tanner Scott. I mean, I know they love that arm, but if you reach the point where, again, no one's off the table. If somebody wants to make you a really good offer for a guy throwing upper 90s with a nasty slider, then you go ahead and make that deal. Uh, one of the big guys, I don't see John Means, and he's injured now anyway, but I don't see that parting with him. Trey Mancini, that's a very dicey situation. I don't know what the value is for a first baseman corner outfielder, but I think there are teams that would love to have his bat in the lineup. And the Orioles are going to be paying him next season, his final year before free agency. Over $5 million, I guess. He's 4.7 now, and he's going to get a nice raise. And, and do you want to spend that much when you're a rebuilding club? But this is Trey Mancini. So you could argue that this is a guy you kind of build around. And we know the delicate situation. He brought it up himself to me. He's like, hey, I know I'm a kind of unique case. Yes, you are a stage three cancer survivor, Trey Mancini. That's a hard sell for the fan base to trade Trey Mancini. And plus, he's so wildly popular. And one of the few guys who's really producing in the lineups. So that's a tough one. But... You know, if you're overwhelmed with an offer, and this is a guy who, by the time he reaches free agency, this team probably isn't contending yet, you have to at least consider it, don't you? 
for somebody like Santander, you know, you figure probably that the ankle injury that he's been dealing with probably you think Rock limits his movability and, and Cedric Mullins, you'd figure probably the untouchable scale, given where he is in his time in the major leagues. I mean, if anybody's untouchable right now, you would think, who, who would have thought we would have said Cedric Mullins is untouchable? But honestly, now, yes, because he's a guy that you can plug into that leadoff spot in center field every day and build around. You can't keep trading guys as soon as they get good. <laughs> you just It's not how this works or it shouldn't. But Santander, you know, scouts had a lot of interest. Different teams, you know, had a lot of interest in Santander. I do wonder if the injury is something that kind of cools teams on him because maybe he's not going to be able to provide immediate help because of this. Or if they look past that and say, look, you know, you, you rest them, you got the break. And then, you know, once he's healthy, he's a guy who, you know, under team control for a few more years and, and the switch hitter and with power and, you know, plays a better right field than he's been able to because of that ankle. So maybe there is still that interest. But right now, you would think the value's down a little bit. Maybe there are some concerns about the injuries that have kind of hounded him. The last two Septembers, he's been shut down. Different things, shoulder oblique, and now you've got the ankle. But certainly, he was one of their bigger chips and a guy who, in theory, would be expendable because, oh, well, there's Yusniel Diaz, and eventually there's Heston Kerstad to play right field. But right now, you can't pencil in either one of them at this point. But uh, again, yes, if, if there's a team that wants to step up and make a nice offer for Santander, I would think he would be moved. Now, if, as if the stretch wasn't tough enough, you have injuries to your ace, who was having all-star season, and perhaps maybe your next best, most consistent starting pitcher in Bruce Zimmerman. Uh, what's the timetable for those two, Rock, getting back healthy and in the rotation, hopefully? Yeah, well, means it's going to be after the break now. Uh, and it, I th- you don't, you never know how much of this is precautionary and how much is just like, hey, there's, we have no choice anyway. You know, they say, hey, if we were contending, you know, if it was September, so-and-so would be back sooner. I think they're just going extra slow with means because this is basically a chronic issue that he's had with his shoulder. He said going back to college. It's not overly serious. It's not a surgery situation, but it's something that's either been described as a strain or fatigue I don't know if it's the same thing or not. I'm not a doctor, but it's been described as both ways. So I think they feel like, look, we have to just shut him down and really make sure that this doesn't happen again in the second half. Uh, and he is, he is such an important part of that rotation, obviously the most important piece. So you have to be really careful with him. And with Zimmerman, it, it's biceps tendonitis, which you would think, oh, that could be 10 days to two weeks. But I think it's going to be longer than that at this point with him. And again, how much of that is because it's a little more serious and how much of it is just why would we rush back Bruce Zimmerman and take a chance on a more serious injury when, again, they're, you know, way below 500 here they're you know buried in last place second worst record in baseball why would you go ahead and say we have to rush Bruce Zimmerman back you're not going to do that you're going to take your time with them but it does hurt because they probably were the two most reliable if you're gonna have two guys who are going to get you through the middle innings at this point probably those two and Zimmerman I think his last two he only went five but here we kind of celebrate five innings because that's at least getting through five. I mean, the bar, again, has been lowered right now. So it does hurt them. And that's why, again, when people scream, get rid of Matt Harvey, send down Dean Kramer or whatever, anytime someone has a bad start, move Lopez to the bullpen or get rid of him. It's like you need at least five starters and you've got two on the IL and, it's, and there's nobody beating down the door right now. So the options really are limited. And by the way, Twitter was blown up with Dean Kramer where they have to DFA him. I'm like, why he's got options if you really want to go ahead and get him off this roster and out of the rotation you just option them you don't dfa i mean a guy who one time led the minor leagues strikeouts 
in 18 and has only made a handful of triple a start you just don't go ahead and dfa a guy like that but people are pretty emotional right now you can certainly understand it rock it's getting to a point where it's it's really concerning i mean we're not even at the all-star break yet and you have a bullpen that has just been completely taxed and overworked and it really stands out now that you don't have means and zimmerman was giving you some longer outings and you don't have him Jorge Lopez pitched into the, the seventh inning a couple of days before we're, we're taping this. But, like, how – you still have to cover innings as a starting staff so that way your bullpen, which, you know, if you take a look at it, which has guys that were DFA'd, waiver claims, inconsistency, et cetera, et cetera, what do you do? Like, it's it's been a you, – you're just not covering that many innings as, as a starting rotational. Everyone wants to see these younger guys – Everyone knows that there's some risk in, in terms of you're not going to get guys that are going to be able to go all that long at times just because they're getting used to the major league. So how concerned should we be about this whole starting rotation in terms of being able to cover innings? Because what's going on here where you're going a third of an inning, four innings, four and a third, and your bullpen has to cover five, six innings when it's done that basically all season, you know, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, when you critique and judge the bullpen, the first thing you have to do is look at how much it's being taxed and how heavy the usage because of the rotation. I mean, there's a direct correlation. If starters are routinely getting through six, seven innings, that bullpen, I guarantee you, is going to look a lot better. But in this case, now you're constantly having to bring guys out there, and there are guys that Brandon Hyde is not going to pitch. He's not going to go three straight days, four straight days with a guy, even though we see other teams doing that, the Nationals, the Indians, they're running guys out there every night, which is shocking to me because we're not used to seeing that in Baltimore. Buck Showalter didn't do that. Brandon Hyde didn't do it. A lot of other managers don't do it. But yeah, the bullpen is taxed and you know, you're watching games and saying, well, why did he bring so-and-so in? Or why didn't you bring so-and-so? There are two or three guys a night who aren't available. And that was the case again last night, which is, or as we're taping this last night, which is why Travis Lakin's giving them four innings was huge without having to pass that baton so much uh, because it looked like it was going to be a disaster. Your starter goes one third of an inning. That's usually multiple roster moves the next day. But you know, this pen, it, it's just anytime you look at somebody say, well, he's not effective right now or he's struggling. And then you have to start looking at, well, how often is he being put in situations he shouldn't be because the rotation is, is wearing them out. So I guarantee you a better rotation gets you a better bullpen. But that said, they went into the season with two Rule 5 guys. Wells has, has been fantastic, but Max Roller obviously ended up DFA. He was hurt for, for two months and then irregular use. And you can't – normally, in a, a rebuilding team with an extra pitcher, you'd say, well, then you can easily stash him. But the, the struggles of the rotation and the bullpen, I think, directly impacted what they could do with them. You couldn't afford to hide him, stash him, and say, okay, if we have a lopsided game once in a while, we'll put him out there. You need relievers who are available to pitch in any situation right now because of this pitching staff. So I think that impacted what they could do with him. And now they've lost an arm they really like because of it. Uh, so yeah, you've got to, you've got to get deeper starts from your rotation and that's going to help the, the bullpen. In the meantime, you've got optionable guys and they hate revving up that shuttle, but you're going to have to do that. But then you also look at it, triple a, which guys are on the 40 that don't require a 40 man move to clear space. Who's pitching well right now down there uh and and who really is an upgrade as opposed to the old you know well we're swapping one problem for another because this guy's probably not going to be any better but we just need a fresh arm it's it's a tough position to be in right now rock kubako of mattsonsports.com rock thank you so much we appreciate it hey, my pleasure
Mike Elias, thank you for joining us. Rakubako, thank you for joining us. It should be an interesting month ahead for the Orioles. I can't wait for the draft. And then the deadline, Jeff, and, and who knows what's going to happen there and how active the Orioles could be, should be, we'll see. Uh, a lot can still play out over the next few weeks, but it should be an intriguing time for the Orioles. And then, you know, I think we'll, we'll get to the All-Star break when we do, but second half of the year uh, should be interesting as we kind of wait for a, a, little, a few more uh, trickling in of premier prospects to the big club. We've already, and as we tape this, this is when we just had Mickey Janice make his major league debut. So eight have made debuts already. I think Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith are guys that we're going to hear from at some point this year, assuming that they continue to perform at AAA. And I think that they're going to be other guys that are going to, going to see the Orioles. And, you know, Jemai Jones has been playing really well offensively at Norfolk. He's got some work. It sounds like to do defensively. So maybe he comes up at some point and, and gets an opportunity with this team, but you know, it's, it'll be interesting with the deadline just in terms of how things are going to be with you know, everyone's wondered about Trey Mancini, how that one's going to going to go, because that's a very multifaceted type of question is as, as far as, you know, the, he, he means so much to the city. He means so much to this organization. He means so much to, to a lot of people. And it's been remarkable what he's done when he was undergoing chemotherapy just a year ago. This is a guy that's competing for an all-star spot. Um, you know, Cedric Mullins, I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, we pointed it out. It, didn't seem like that long ago that we would have you know, we're saying he's like untouchable now because he is somebody that you can build around and I don't think he's going anywhere personally John means I think you'd have to be completely blown away and then Santander who might have been somebody that could possibly be be dealt at some point there were a lot of teams that were kicking the tires on him but when you got to the offseason and and the Marlins for instance were, were linked to him and they had some interest and things like that but you know with him dealing with that ankle injury um, I, I think that he's going to be sticking around as well. So I'm not sure how much movement there is going to be. It's going to be interesting to watch. But either way, I think one thing that we can both get excited around is, is that some uh, some more prospects are going to be able to come up and, and make their major league debuts at some point. And I think that begins with guys like Bradish and Smith. Because right now, uh, as we know, Brett, the Orioles need pitching help, and they need a lot of it. Yeah, there's no question about that. And we'll look for, hopefully, the development of some of the guys they have right now on their big league roster. The bird is back, Birdland. The bird is back and ready to make a special appearance at your next event. Add some Orioles magic to your birthday celebration, wedding, or corporate party by booking the bird today. Proceeds benefit the Orioles Charitable Foundation. Book your bird appearance today at Orioles.com slash bird. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Thank you so much for joining us Inside the Yard. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 